In a world of uncertainty, we build our lives on promises. Parents promise to provide. Husbands and wives promise to be faithful. Businesses promise to pay. Financial institutions and markets offer the promise of growth and security and return on investment. <clears throat> what are the promises on which you build your life? <clears throat> are you building your financial plan on the promises of the economy or on the promises of the kingdom? We're addicted to consumption, material excess, and spending beyond our means. The typical American family has $15,000 in credit card debt, $32,000 in educational debt, and $150,000 in mortgage debt. In fact, the total credit card debt for the country is $850 billion. The national debt of the United States has risen from $4 trillion in 2004 to over $17 trillion today, and the figure continues to grow by $2.7 billion per day. The numbers are staggering. According to independent experts, the total of federal unfunded liabilities, the difference between what the government collects and what it has committed to pay, is $127 trillion. That's over a million dollars per taxpayer and roughly double 2012's entire world economic output. This is not a partisan issue. It's simple arithmetic. Your securities may be less secure than you think. Your savings might not save you. And it's enough to make you ask, are you grounding your life on the boasts of the marketplace idols or on the everlasting promises of a faithful God? The Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Save money and compound interest is a miracle that works in your favor. Go into debt and compound interest is a nightmare that steals your future. Our money says in God we trust. What do your IOUs say? Is debt your servant or your master? Debt is not always unwise. There are many varieties of debt, and wise debt can increase your capacity for the kingdom. But unwise debt diminishes your capacity for generosity. Money you owe to the bank is money you cannot give to the needy. In fact, when you give to the needy, the Bible says God himself is indebted to you. The next time you face a debt decision, ask yourself, am I acting in faith or am I acting in fear? Am I taking something now that God might want to give to me in his time? Your promise to the bank is a liability. Your faithfulness to give to others is an asset on which they can build their lives. Financial freedom means the freedom to give the freedom to live the life that is truly life, the freedom to join God in His mission of rescue and restoration. Are you building your life on your promises to pay the bank? Or are you building your life on God's promises to you? Which promise will you choose today? I wanna make sure that you know uh, some of the numbers that are in that video are not 100% accurate. That video came out in about 2016, so some of those numbers are different. Obviously, this is 2021. 20, uh, if you're new here or if you're just kind of jumping on board with us today, I want to give you your disclaimer. So this, this four-part series, this is part three on uh, biblical stewardship 
uh, is something that we'll be doing a little bit differently every single year, but this is about halfway through our church's fiscal year. And uh, it's important to address these things so that we're aware what true biblical stewardship looks like. I don't preach sermons about money. I preach about stewardship. And uh, it's a huge component of who we are to be as followers of Jesus. I say all that to say, if you're brand spanking new, well, welcome. (laughs) Uh, We're glad that you're here. Uh, We don't talk about this this way every single Sunday, and I I know you understand that. But we're three weeks into this. This series is entitled More. And if you did miss the last two weeks, I would encourage you to get online and listen. This, This series addresses the premise that... Um, we generally believe the kind of cultural consensus is that money problems that we might face are actually income problems. That if we just had more, then it'd be a completely different story. But um, the problem is for many, not everybody, and I want to make sure you understand, sometimes we make generalized statements, but for many people, not all, but many, it's really not an income problem, it's a stewardship problem. A stewardship problem. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about an interesting passage of Scripture. At first blush, this is not going to sound like it has anything to do with finances, anything to do with money. It's from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, the very first verse. And uh, the book of Proverbs is the, the book of wisdom is what it's called. And there's a lot of wisdom about financial matters, but this, this verse is a little bit different. And I want to just start out by, by talking about this. This is almost like a dialogue between a father and a son. Okay, so you see verse 1, it says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Verse 9, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now what follows that, and we're not going to spend our time reading the entire Uh, chapter, but what follows that are really some basic life lessons that you would pass on from a parent to a child. You know, don't, don't look, get, try to get something for nothing all the time, end up, you know, you usually get what you pay for, and all that kind of different stuff. There's all these kind of life lessons uh, throughout all of that, but as you read this, you get the sense that there are two voices that are calling out to this young man. There are two voices. One is the voice of seduction, okay? Uh, There's the look, there's those eyes, you hear it, you see it, and you're like, hmm, okay, okay. But then there's this other voice calling out, and it's the voice of wisdom. You see it in verses like 20 and 21. You'll see them on the screen. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. The father goes on to express how foolish it is to just ignore that voice of wisdom that's being offered to you and give in to the voice of seduction, how foolish that is. But he closes with Proverbs 133. He says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. To me, what that sounds like is peace. If you listen to the voice of wisdom, you're going to experience some peace in your life. If you don't listen to the voice of wisdom, instead chase after the voice of seduction, It's going to mess with your peace. It's not going to feel real great. Now, again, our topic is financial stewardship, but this passage is not explicitly about that. But I think the principles are implied. They're implied. The voice of seduction leads us into a trap. 
takes us where we don't need to be going. It looks good. It fulfills some instant desires. But in the end, it leads to a kind of a prison. It's a disaster. On the flip side, the voice of wisdom, though, leads to freedom, leads to peace. Excuse me while I get my cough drop. So uh, when I was in college and I was scrambling to pay my school bill, scraping money together to pay for textbooks and doing everything that you do in college, I was dating Shelly and I thought I was super romantic when I'd save $1 and walk to the gas station to buy a $1 gas station rose, I don't know if anybody remembers those, and go and give it to my, my girlfriend. When I was really just kind of scraping things together, um, I remember I went down to the student center and we all had mailboxes, mail locking mailboxes, and I opened mine up and in it there was this letter. So I pulled the letter out and it was amazing. I was actually, I was being honored. So I pulled this letter out. It said to me, congratulations, Rich, on the front of it. And it was just this incredible thing. I opened it up and there's this very large company that was honoring me and out of all of the 19-year-olds on the planet had chosen me to pre-approve me. <laughs> and I was, I was dumbfounded. I'm, I'm thinking, I must be something else. I must be all right. That, and and I mean, in a world where you have to seek approval, we have to fight for approval. And back then there was no social media, but man, we fight for likes and follows and all this. I was pre-approved. I didn't, I mean, it was this, this incredible, incredible honor. They had pre-approved me for a credit card of up to $5,000. Now, 19-year-old scraping things by, $5,000 sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. In a world where you try to earn that, they're just giving it to me, so I'm feeling pretty good. And they were going to send me a free T-shirt. <laughs> On top of that, I was also going to be entered into a sweepstakes to win a spring break trip and... What was the other thing? I wrote them down. Three free prescriptions to, or subscriptions to a magazine. Magazines. I was just, I was, I mean, they just thought I was pretty special. I, I felt pretty special. Okay, so you talk about seduction. The voice of seduction in that moment. If you don't think that still happens, this last week, my oldest son, who's 20, got one in the mail here. 29% interest rate. Yeah, yeah, it's the voice of seduction. Now, before you think that this is me railing against credit cards and this is a sermon about credit cards, I got one, okay? So that's not what this is about. This would generally be the time where I would throw a bunch of debt statistics at you, but they're changing all of the time. I could tell you about average credit card debt. I could, we could go down those roads, all that different stuff, but I'm just gonna share with you two stats today, just two, okay? These are current stats. They're not even going to be on the screen because they're just really, really easy to remember, okay? But and the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I think they're really revealing about how you and I need to address the seduction of debt, okay? The U.S. debt currently, and there's an actual ticker, okay? The U.S. debt currently is just a hair under $30 trillion, $30 trillion. Now that fluctuates all kinds of stuff, and we like to get all worked up about stuff, and we have, well, it's $30 trillion, you know, because 
so-and-so did this, and rah, 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 and uh, so-and-so should be doing that. And, you know, we get all political, which is always so productive. Okay, so it's 30 trillion, 30 trillion. Here's the fact. U.S. citizens, that's you and me, okay, we carry just under 15 trillion in debt. That's like the pot calling the kettle black, okay? It doesn't work that way. Whatever you want to assume, it would seem to me that debt is just kind of a part of how we operate in life. It's just kind of become who we are. And we've just absorbed it as normal as far as our nation goes and as far as our personal lives go. And I share this with you because the reality is that there are two voices that are calling to us. Wisdom calls out to warn us that the seductress is going to take you where you don't want to go. And then sometimes when we do go, we realize it's too late. When we do pay attention, when we do hear the voice of seduction for what it is, it's too late. So let's hear wisdom. Let's have peace. Let's hear wisdom. Uh, like last week, this sermon is kind of practical. The book of Proverbs is loaded with all kinds of practical wisdom and warnings, including this issue of debt. And so first, I want to make sure that we understand the debt that we're talking about is irresponsible debt. Irresponsible debt. The Bible gives all kinds of wisdom when borrowing and lending and, and all kinds of stuff. But we're talking today about irresponsible stuff. Irresponsible. The kind of debt where we're seduced into it. To get something now, uh, but paying more for it later. Okay? In, in more ways than one. Debt that prevents you from doing what God has called you to do and essentially imprisons you and enslaves you right now. Where we get upside down, you can't get out. Here's the voice of wisdom. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. You heard that passage in that video. The borrower is the slave to the lender. One sentence full of all kinds of wisdom, all kinds of wisdom. I give my freedom away. You and I give our freedom away and choose to enslave ourselves when it comes to some kinds of debt, okay? Now, financial debt is particularly harsh. Credit card, <laughs> credit card companies aren't just nice companies that think, wow, I'm going to loan you money. They exist to make money. In fact, those kinds of companies exist on a bet. They are betting that you will be a poor financial steward. That's why they exist. And you know what? It's a pretty good bet. It's been a pretty good bet or else those companies would not exist. They exist to make money. Now, I know you love this, so I'm going to keep going. Statistics show that the average interest rate on credit cards is 15 to 20%. 15 to 20%, a minimum payment on $5,000. A minimum payment on $5,000 would take you 20 years to pay off. Five grand, and because you'd be paying more, right? You'd be paying more. That's assuming you don't add more to the 5,000 in the meantime. So what if you don't pay? We'll get to that in a bit, okay? Last week we talked about giving. We talked about living on less than your income. We talked about saving. And for a lot of people, this issue that we're looking at today, this issue of debt, becomes the number one prohibitor to doing any of that, any of it. 
Not only that, we also suffer the consequences of slavery. We lack peace. So that's why today our focus is more peace. When you know somebody has something over you and holds something over you or against you, it kind of robs your peace, doesn't it? It robs your peace. We get anxious, we get stressed, we get depressed. Relationally, that causes all kinds of stress and fractures. Spiritually, you get defensive because you know you should give, but you can't, and, and, and you just get all angry and tense. Debt is slavery. We are being enslaved. Yet the voice of wisdom calls. Again, here's the father and son, Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor, give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber, save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Okay, what's what does all that mean? Well, this is Solomon, okay? Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived. He's the author of this proverb. He's talking about a debt where somebody co-signs a loan on behalf of another person who can't seem to be able to pay it, okay? Guess who's on the hook when that doesn't happen? You are. But ultimately, this applies to any kind of irresponsible debt. All, all of that. And the, the point of this is, is once you're in, get out. Get out. Don't stop until you get out. In fact, act like you're on wild kingdom. That's essentially what he's saying. Act like you're on wild kingdom and you are running for your life. Get out. Get out. You're at the bottom of the food chain. You better run. And just so you know, when it comes to this issue, you are the bottom of the food chain. You are. So how do you move yourself out of that position? Here's what I know. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. Christians keep their word. That's what Christians do. Uh, Christians repay their debts. So getting out of debt takes commitment, takes discipline, takes focus. In, our, in other words, it takes a plan. It takes a plan. Biblical principles, biblical practices, but I can't create a plan to get out of debt for you. I can't do that. I can put tools in your hands and, and I can give you opportunities, but you have to work a plan. You have to work a plan. So it feels a little goofy to not try to like help you in, in this way. And so you'll see on the screen, what I want to do is on September 12th, it's kind of a, just an introductory, kind of a basic you know, budget 101 seminar. If that's something that would be of interest to you, just a, about an hour or so, hour or two, I'll feed you lunch. And uh, I'll meet with you on September 12th after the second service. But if you're interested in that, would you register for that? I'll, I'll kind of share with you some budget practices, put some tools in your hands, and we'll kind of explore what it looks like to maybe even develop a plan even further after that point for you. That's not me trying to get in your money business. That's me just trying to help. This is an area of my life where I feel like God has helped me to be able to structure my life in a way that honors him uh, through biblical stewardship. And it's one of those things, particularly if you go through premarital counseling with me, we talk about quite a bit. And uh, uh, I just want to encourage you. That's just one resource. But all I can tell you is that there are two voices that are calling the seductress and wisdom. Listen to wisdom. Listen to wisdom. Okay. 
So now a smart pastor would probably stop here, but I don't make that claim. <laughs> um, if you look at your outline, there is a sentence that says, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? There are spiritual implications to this. There are spiritual implications to this. Um, this morning, I just want to share with you a couple. And the first reason this is a big deal is this. You will pay for every debt, one way or another. You will pay for every debt one way or another. The largest debt that you and I have is not financial. It is not financial. The Bible tells us that the penalty for not being able to pay for our sin is death. The wages of sin, what our sin earns us, is debt. Puts us indebted to death. Okay. Yet because of his love, God sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin debt and set us free to break those chains of death around us. That's exciting to me. I get super pumped about that. I shared with you early, Lonnie Kotner went home to be with Jesus this week. For some reason, Lonnie and I got in this interesting text exchange the last few weeks. And uh, even as, as recent as, uh, as Friday morning, we were texting back and forth. And uh, Lonnie passed away on Friday afternoon, but Friday morning, I texted him because I knew he was trying to get home from the hospital. I said, Lonnie, did you make it home? He never texted me back. Well, the answer to that question is yes. Yes. Because the bonds and the chains of indebtedness on his life, his indebtedness to death were broken because of Jesus. So our debts get paid, okay? Debts, all debts get paid one way or another. Now, you might be thinking, well, Doring, okay, that's why God invited, invented bankruptcy, uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't disparage anyone who's found themselves in a situation where bankruptcy is an option. I get that there are things and remember, sometimes we make generalized statements. Sometimes I do that. And I want to make sure you understand there are people that have things thrust on them. They never asked for. Okay. So, so I get that. However, we do need to acknowledge that there are ways other than financially, your debts will get paid your reputation your credibility, your witness, your legacy might be how you pay for your debts. Did you know that if you die with large credit card debt, your debt does not die with you? Did you know that? I'm not, don't tell anybody in the second service. I'm going to share something with you right now that they're not going to hear in the second service completely just because you know what, it's okay if not everything in the world ends up online, all right? Uh, I know this for a fact because when my mother passed away in 2011, two days before she passed away, we found a post office box that my dad did not know anything about. In that post office box, and I want you to know I, I honor my mom, I love my mom, but this is a lesson learned. In that post office box, we found a whole slew of unpaid credit card bills, credit card bills. Now, <clears throat> thankfully, you know, we kind of wrapped our brains around some stuff and we just like, all right, that's for another day. 
So we, we honored my mom, helped my dad, but in the midst of it all, my dad, who was a, who was a loyal, good man, immediately cashed in his 401k, uh, paying the penalties that are associated with that because he wanted his name to be okay and he wanted his wife's name to be okay. So he's going to pay off all this debt that we don't even know how much it is. Um, within a week after my mom did pass away, it came up to the tune of about $130,000. And so, of course, my dad had cashed in his retirement and uh, was ready to start hammering. And I said, hang on. So my sister and I specifically sat down and started going through a process. And uh, it's amazing. If you won $2,000 on a credit card bill, as long as you call them and you send them a death certificate, more than likely they'll just kind of, okay, okay, we'll let that one go. 20 grand, not so much. So at the end, we ended up paying about $80,000 of that debt. And I remember my dad's biggest concern before my mom passed. She didn't want us to think any different. He didn't want us to think any differently of our mom. And I don't, I don't. I've always known my mom and dad didn't handle money well, uh, which is maybe one of the reasons why I'm very convicted to handle money well. I didn't know it was that bad, um, but that was the reality of the situation. And do you know that when you make amends, when you do that, credit card companies still have collections agencies on retainer. So even though you've worked out a deal, even though you've paid off a portion, even though you've gotten a letter in the mail from the credit card company saying our dealings with you are over one year, two years, three years still after my mom died, my dad, me, my brother, my sister, all of us got weekly phone calls from collection agencies looking to settle the estate of Kathy Doring. We'd already made the deal. It was done. But if they can get a little bit more. So let me ask you, at a time where you're trying to put your life back together, you've lost the most important person in your life. My, my heart was broken for my dad, who got that weekly reminder. The weekly reminder. And I know my dad well enough to know he never held it against my mom. You know, he, he never did any of that stuff. But all of a sudden, that debt was being paid, though, wasn't it? It was being paid with a legacy. It was being paid with a memory. You've heard that statement? I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. You heard that? Okay. Implying that you can't take your earthly belongings with you. You can't take your debt with you either. Instead, it's passed on. It's passed on. So when I say every debt will get paid one way or another, it's true. It is true. That right there is one of the reasons I think this is a really, really big deal. Really, really big deal. And it leads right into the second reason, which is this. Your credibility for Christ is impacted by how you handle debt. Your credibility for Jesus is impacted by how you handle debt. Now, credibility is this capacity you have for other people to believe what you say, okay? To their ability to give you credit for what you say. That's credibility. Okay? If you have debt that you do not handle well, 
do you have credibility to speak about it? Okay. If you're not operating as a strong biblical financial steward, do you have credibility to speak about it? I'll, I'll stick my neck out there. I'll throw myself under the bus. If you knew that, you know, and, and we all think, oh, man, our finances are private matters. Okay, declare bankruptcy. They're not private anymore. Okay, so I'll throw myself under the bus. If, if you knew that I was not handling myself well financially, and you knew that I did not manage debt in a very healthy way, would I have any credibility at all in anything that I've talked about in this series at all? It's a huge implication. Everything that I would say is suspect. You'd be like, man, Pastor Rich, that's kind of harsh. Is it? We don't think for a second that the world does not notice poor stewardship from the church. They've got our number. And if, if your words lack credibility from a financial standpoint, don't you think that might impact your credibility to speak about other spiritual matters as well in the eyes of the world? Okay. There are churches, there are pastors, there are Christian organizations, there are nonprofits, parachurch ministries who have absolutely lost their voice because they have zero credibility in this area. And the world knows it. The world knows it. If you borrow and do not pay, do you know what my non-Christian family used to call that? Stealing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of the top ten. Thou shalt not steal. And if non-Christians know that. Okay. So this is a big deal. It's one of the reasons why that six-month presentation that we made last week, that financial presentation, that update for the church, is something that will become routine in this church moving forward. Now, all of that feels like a giant spanking. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't feel good. Maybe I'll use that as an excuse. I don't know. No, I, that feels like a, a giant spanking. But I just want to share with you the motive here. If you're anything like me, this stuff messes with your peace. It messes with your peace. Last week, I asked you to raise your hand if you've ever laid in bed at night, awake, worried about finances. I have. I have. I've been that guy. Um, it, 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 it stinks. Denial, stress, fear, panic, anger, depression, relational strain. The goal is peace because peace is real life. That's the life that God desires for us is a life of peace. We just went through an entire series this summer. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. We said we want to be able to point at those things as a church and say, real life, yeah, that's us. We are peace. Do you lack peace in your life in this area? God's design, God didn't design us to live in a constant lack of peace. He has more for us. My challenge to you is for you to want it to. You to want it to. I want to encourage you to at least check out some of the tools I'm sure that we can kind of go back. There's been links to budgeting tools, all kinds of different things we've put into these uh, weeklies that we hand out. There's links online. There's been all kinds of different things. Take advantage of all of those. Just take advantage of something to get the ball rolling in a direction where it becomes a conversation, a part of your life. You doing okay? <clears throat> Thanks for hanging with me. Can I tell you where we're going after next week? Next week, this series is over, and all God's people said, all right. <laughs> Trust me, I say it too, all right? 
<laughs> so uh, after next week, I'm super pumped. We're going we're gonna to do this series. Uh, this is my story. So it's a four-part series. The very first sermon in that series is through the Bible in 30 minutes or less. My goal in this entire series is to help us see ourselves in the context of the Word of God, us to see our story in the context of a much bigger story. What's going to be really cool about this is as we journey through those four weeks together, you and I will be crafting our own stories. We'll be writing down in, in just the kind of this really unique way the ability to share our story in a very simple, concise way. And I, I, I'm doing this for a couple of reasons. Number one, God's led us this direction. The other thing is, too, still on a weekly basis, and I understand that there's realities with a church of this size, I'm still meeting people for the very first time, and I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear people's stories. Your story is important. I want you to hear me say that again. Your story is important. It's important because it's your story. But it it's, doesn't make any sense unless we see it in the context of God's story. So our goal is at the end of those four weeks, all of us see our stories in the context of God's story. I'm excited to, to journey with you through that. So and Pastor Ben is actually going to be sharing in one of those sermons as well. So we're really looking forward to, to that. I just wanted to put that on your radar. And that's it. That's it. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to remind you. There's a little reception thing going on in the community space for Pastor Ben and his wife and his family. Make sure you go out there and meet them and uh, have fun with our kids, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and thank you, and these are hard topics, but at the same time important ones, and you know, Father, I, I just pray that you've been able to use my failing voice uh, at some level today uh, just to speak truth, uh, not just into their lives, but mine as well. Help me to be reminded. Uh, Father, that in humility, there is nothing that we have that did not originate from you, and we just acknowledge that today. We love you so much for your grace in the midst of all of this, and Father, help us as we seek to be good stewards of what you've resourced us with. It is in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless. Thank you for being here today. <clears throat>